Rob Fain for Jill. Good afternoon. Maybe you're getting the first bite of your sandwich. Maybe you're waiting because you're next in line for the dental chair. Wherever I find you today, I hope it is well. The Surrey Police Union launched a new website, dispatchnow.ca. The website calling for swift action from Mayor Brenda Locke to follow provincial recommendations that would transition to a local police service. Obviously, this has been in the news for some time. But to talk about the fact that uh, the Surrey Police Union is saying, we got to get going on this because crime is still happening in real time. Uh, let's get it right from the mouth of those in uh, the proper position, if you will. Ryan Burig is with the Surrey Police Union. Good afternoon, Ryan. Good afternoon, Rob, and uh, hello to your uh, listeners. Well, thank you. And uh, let's get right to it. Very quickly, can you walk me through what dispatchnow.ca does for the community? Yeah, so Dispatch Now is all about sharing information with community about the transition process to the Surrey Police Service. Uh, we recognize that it's been a long and confusing process for the community, and we want to make sure that the right information gets out there. Uh, there's really been a focus around the transition on politics, and we think that we need to refocus on public safety. Um, crime is, as you said, continuing while this transition is going ahead, and not having a clear decision from council and the province um, is definitely affecting our officers and the RCP officers' ability to focus on what really matters, which is public safety. So we believe the time to make a decision is now, and we need to stop these uh, political delays. Let's talk numbers. I, th- I think a lot of our mm. listeners will probably understand it more if we put it just into the simplest terms right now. Let's say Surrey does transition to the, the, the new police force. What is the difference between the, what they currently have with the RCMP as opposed to the numbers that they would have with a local police force? Yeah, so the, the numbers... Um Sorry, I think the numbers right now in the plan are relatively comparable between Surrey Police Service and the Surrey RCMP. Uh, but what really matters here is that the Surrey RCMP and the RCMP in general right across the province has a long history of not being able to adequately staff um, their detachments. Uh, their own management advisory board uh, just last year actually called this a crisis. So really sticking with the RCMP long term would be that Surrey would be short officers for generations. Versus with the Surrey Police Service, we have a demonstrated ability to build up and build up our strength quite fast. So in terms of getting more officers on the road for Surrey residents, that's really um, the really the only option forward is the Surrey Police Service. So if I'm hearing you right, as it stands right now, the numbers are pretty simple, but you have more room to grow. Exactly. Where would that money to grow come from? Yeah, in terms of um, the money uh, to grow generally with the police service, I mean, ultimately, it's uh, mayor and council's decision in terms of the number of officers um, that we have. I know mayor and council have already made a pledge to hire more CMP officers. So if the transition continued, we would expect that that uh, would as well hire more uh, Surrey police officers as uh, the transition progressed and as the city grows as well. We're really behind on hiring police officers and there is definitely room to grow. Yeah, and I think the reason I did that, I wasn't trying to blindside you with that yeah. question. It was more so just the fact that we've seen some dollar figures that have been thrown at Brenda Locke to say, hey, if you're going to make this transition, mm-hmm. here's X amount of dollars. Do you assume that if she does eventually come around on this or if the vote goes 5-4 the other way in favour of a localised police force, that that money's coming straight at you guys? Yeah, and I think it's important. There's lots of misinformation just around uh, the provincial recommendation generally. The province really only approved one plan to move forward, which was the SPS. So the city's plan that the city and the RCMP put forward um, was deemed unsafe by the province, and there were several binding conditions placed on them. Uh, It would be incredibly hard for them to meet uh, those conditions. Um, So again, in terms of um, funding from the province, uh, we are grateful that the province has confidence in us and put that on the table, because that will definitely be put to good use in terms of 
uh, serving the city uh, with more police officers. What's missing, Ryan? Like, we've been talking about this for months at this point. Uh, you know, we know that someone has to get swayed on city council if you want to get that vote to go your way. But what's the X factor? Like, what am I missing here? I, because to me, it seems like it's either yes or a no. But why is it getting hung up in the sky right now? Why can't we get that answer? Yeah, and I think just for what you're saying, I think the critical thing here is the policing models. So when we're talking about staffing levels, I mean, right now there's, um, we've been told that there's going to be one of the major fires going on, one of the biggest uh, similar to 27, or 2017. Um, so those members get deployed from the RCMP. So when we're talking about boots on the ground in Surrey, um, they're going to the fires. There's several from Surrey RCMP right now that are deployed um, to Nunavut. I mean, Surrey needs more police officers in Surrey, not across the province. And so that's one of the big benefits to having that local police force is that our members are members and they're focused just on Surrey, not on all these other policing issues. Fair I enough. mean, I think it's... Mm-hmm. No, it's a great point, a great one to finish on. And I'm sorry, I wish we had more time to talk about this, Ryan. But uh, I will tell people to go and uh, do their research. Go to dispatchnow.ca. And Ryan, I thank you for your time this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm Rob Fain for Joe Bennett. Happy 1 o'clock hour to you all. Uh, By the way, Shania Twain, I don't know why, but I was... Well, I know why. When we were moving... I found an old box of CDs, and I just remember thinking, ooh, there's yeah, – when you work in radio, you get all the promo ones, like the one-offs. Like, you don't get the full CD with all, like, 15 songs. You get, like, the, the A and the B side. And one of them was uh, Shania Twain. Hadn't heard it in a long time. Fired it in and loved it. She's one of my favorites from back in the old days. <laughs> back in the old days. I am getting old. By the way, 25th anniversary of Maestro Fresh West's Let Your Backbone Slide. To those who are young enough to know what I'm talking about. Somebody's like, what are we talking about here? Um, let's switch gears. The park board looks as if they have closed the second beach pool right in the middle of summer, right in the middle of one of the hottest times of the year. I don't think we're summer just quite yet, but we're on the cusp of it. It feels like summer. And uh, it, even though it just might be the morning, this has got a few people up in arms about this. Jorge Amigo is a West End resident who swims at the pool on the regular. And uh, Jorge, were you surprised when he went uh, to the pool and the gates were closed? Yeah, I was very surprised. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, it was upsetting, and I was very surprised. Well, this is, I would imagine, and I'm not, a, I'm not you know, from the West End, or at least it's been a long time since I've been down there, but this is a pretty busy pool on, on most days, no? It is a very busy pool. Uh, there's a big community of swimmers, lane swimmers, who come in the morning early at 7 a.m., and then throughout the morning there's always, there's always swimmers and families who come in the morning. And you thought this could be essentially a cost-cutting measure? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not an expert on why this, um, this decision was made. I just think it's, it's a pity that we get to lose one of our public amenities in the mornings because I think it's what makes it worth living in the city. Yeah, well, you mentioned it and uh, immediately got a lot of conversation going on social media. And, and some of the things that came back were, you know, we've talked about the lifeguard shortage throughout the city of Vancouver, which could be a part of the conversation. And uh, yeah. again, you got to remember, there's only three outdoor pools in this city. And realistically, I would imagine the West End's probably got the highest density for people that would, you know, essentially want to use a pool. So this is a big deal, no? It is a big deal. I think to me, it's it's really almost like a it's a deeper issue than just a, a pool being closed for a few hours. Um, we live in a city where most people can barely afford to live here, so public amenities are what make life worth it. Like a lot of us choose to stay in Vancouver, despite how extremely expensive it is, 
because we have fantastic, luxurious public amenities. We have amazing pools, amazing beaches. And so it's, it's really painful when one of these uh, amenities gets taken away. So as we look at the summer, I would imagine now the pool closed in the morning. And again, some people will say, we'll just go in the afternoon. But I mean, maybe we work in the afternoon. Maybe we work in the evening. What are the options now that this is no longer available to you? Yeah, I think you, you hit a, a really good point. I think different people use the pool at different hours. And the crowd that comes in the afternoons is different than the people who use it in the morning for various reasons, either shift work or because of the, the type of swimming they do. In the afternoon, you usually get more families. In the morning, it's swimmers who want to do lane swimming. Um, the other option that swimmers have, and I love kids' pool, and so kids' pool is the closest one to me, but it's not the same thing um, for a couple of main reasons. One is, well, obviously, it's way further to go to kids in the morning than Second Beach if you live in the West End, so that's very inconvenient. But the other thing is that not a lot of swimmers want to swim in a 140-meter lane. Mm. Um, it's an accessibility issue for some swimmers who, who are not there yet to swim such long lengths and prefer training on a 50-meter, you know, Olympic-sized pool. And I want to stress, like, both pools are incredible. Like, the, the, the way they, the, the park board manages them, no complaints about that. They're amazing pools. They're super clean. Staff are amazing. It's just that they're very different pools that serve as a very different audience. And I think we, in a city like this, we deserve to have amazing outdoor pools in every neighborhood. And so I, I don't think that uh, the hours of you know, having, having kids pool open in the morning is not a substitute for Second Beach pool. They're not substitutes. One of the things as I started to do a little research before we brought you on is I was looking at all the community pools around the city of Vancouver. Some of them in the last calendar year were filled in and none have been replaced. And we're talking about Carisdale. Yeah. So this is actually a bigger issue than just keeping the doors closed for a couple of hours. This feels like the park board, uh, you know, as big as they are on bike lanes and, you know, taking care of certain parts of the infrastructure are really missing the mark on something that families on a tight income utilize to uh, not just stay cool, but, you know, to help with their kids and have some fun and some overall enjoyment in the city this is something that matters i agree with you i think as i was saying uh we we live in a city where it, life is already very hard we have an affordability crisis in general and having public amenities available to everyone in every neighborhood is super important i think it should be a top priority especially because the population is growing and so we, instead of, you know, reducing the amount of amenities we have, we should be constantly thinking of increasing the amount of pools, the amount of parks, the amount of public amenities like these. Uh, I mean, it is, it is a very incredible thing to live in a city that has so many open public spaces that are so well managed in general. Yeah. So I think I'm very grateful that we get to have all these amenities. Uh, so to me, it's more of a, let's, let's us together, you know, together as citizens, let's just push for more of that. It, it's what makes it worth living in the city. Yeah. Well, thank you for this. I appreciate the conversation, Jorge. And, you know, it's something that we're so focused on the big news stories of the day, but this was local. This is right in our backyard. And uh, I really do appreciate the heads up. We'll keep digging and do some work for you. Yeah, thank you. And I hope uh, you get to go for a swim this summer. Up fade for Jill for one more hour before we pass the baton on to one Jazz Jill Hall, who is in the newsroom eagerly getting ready for his shift today. Uh, one of the things that I like is when we start to see prices go down. As a guy with two kids, there was no doubt about it that every penny counts when you walk into one of those big old stores and try to fill up as many bags with groceries as you can. And conversations with ingredient companies in recent days sound like ingredient prices 
are finally starting to drop. So says Sylvain Charlebois, who is kind enough to join me. Sylvain, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, let's talk about this because obviously people are dealing with the cost of groceries. And the one R word that I'm looking for is reprieve. Is there possibility that this could actually happen? Possibly, possibly. Uh, you know, you're looking at two different dynamics. Uh, up, up the food chain, obviously, it's the business-to-business environment, very different than, uh, than dealing with grocers uh, and, and consumers. So what we're hearing, and it, it is consistent with what we're seeing with uh, commodity prices, is, is that uh, ingredient prices are dropping. So it's costing less for manufacturers to buy the ingredients they need to uh, make the food we buy at the grocery store. Now, the big question is whether or not we will benefit ourselves, consumers, uh, from from those drops. And and right now, we just we just don't know because there's we we are seeing more costs, uh, you know, closer to us, transportation costs, uh, packaging costs labor as well so there's lots of factors that we need to consider before coming to the conclusion that well prices will be dropping and frankly i'm not sure they will but we are likely going to see more discounting that's the good news here so when you mentioned that there's certain things that are dropping and of a consistent nature what are some of the ingredients that you're starting to see go on the decline well, mainly like sugar, uh, sodium, uh, fat, um, you know, all of the like grains like corn, for example, uh, canola. Uh, those are, are ingredients that we see a lot in our food. And, uh, and because uh, they're costing less, obviously manufacturers are paying less. And so margins are likely going to increase. And to remain competitive, manufacturers have to adjust prices accordingly because if uh, their competitor uh, will drop prices, then of course uh, it will, uh, it, they could lose market share. Now it will be up to grocers to decide what they want to do with, uh, with more space, I guess, uh, when it comes to margins. One article, uh, and I actually picked it up when I was reading through your Twitter feed, was even though right now we feel like we're getting gouged you know, at our retailers, that Canadians are now back to dining out again pre-pandemic levels, which was really surprising. So we're, we're moaning about the cost of groceries when we go to the store, and yet we're out eating and not worrying about the pricing. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. Stunned. Because <laughs> we are talking about food prices, and, and menu prices are also rising. And... Uh, what, there, there's been a few reports. If, if I would have seen like just one report, then I would have said, yeah, maybe. But now we have Statistics Canada giving us an idea what's going on uh, with restaurants. And also there was a report from um, Circana telling us that traffic is on the rise as well. Now, uh, fast food is benefiting from what I would call revenge spending. So people who want to get out of the house for one reason or another. They just want to get out of the house. And maybe they are working from home more often. They just want to get out of the house. So instead of just spending 100 bucks for a meal in a fine dining venue, they'll just go for a coffee or they'll buy uh, a more affordable meal. But traffic is actually on the rise in restaurants. And the other thing that I've noticed is that 
before COVID, 39% of our money was spent in food service. Uh, 39% of, of our money spent on food was spent in food service restaurants. And we're back to 39% for the first time in three years. Which uh, you said stunning. I, I'm of the same And I only caught wind of it a couple of hours ago, so I'm still trying to process that myself. (laughs) You're not going out more often? Well, I am. But you know what? I never really thought about it. I think it was, and this is maybe part of the problem is you don't think about it because you were bent up for two, what, almost two years, and you just wanted to get out. You wanted to, you know, see other people. You wanted to go out and reestablish yourself as pre COVID. So, yeah, you didn't worry about the bill. But then I thought to myself, why am I moaning about the cost? of a head of lettuce if I'm willing to go out to the restaurant and drop 140 bucks on a meal with my friends. Yeah, exactly. Because when you look at uh, food sales in retail, so grocers, uh, food sales are, are really stagnant. They're not moving. We're not spending more money at the grocery store, even though inflation is at almost 10%. So someone is making money, someone's selling food, but we kind of got an answer this week with uh, with food service. So restaurants are back at it. They're they're kind of back. There are fewer establishments because uh, many have closed, of course, and uh, operational hours uh, are not as uh, significant as before COVID. So they're they've raised menu prices. They are profitable. They're seeing more traffic uh, compared to just a few years ago. Uh, so things are better in food service. But I think so. My guess is that people are spending less at the grocery store. They're wasting less, but they're also going out more. Yeah, I think you're. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Sylvana. Great conversation. I feel like we could have done this all afternoon, but thank you for making time for me today. It's a it's a great conversation that I'm going to open up the phone boards to. Thank you again. All right, take care.